Thank you. Welcome. Um, like Rodney said, my name is Clark White. I'm a parishioner here at St. Joseph. Um, I've been here for quite a while. I joined St. Joseph's when uh, I married my wife, Teresa, a long time ago. <laughs> I, uh, I've lived in Marion all my life. Uh, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church. Um, unfortunately, or whatever, that's, it just is. Um, I never took uh, church much, never had much uh, significance in my life. You know, my family um, participated on a regular basis, and I, uh, I went to choir and Sunday school and this and that, and enjoyed the community, but uh, that was it. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a a really good family. I'm adopted, you know, so and I don't know anything about my uh, heritage as such, but uh, I was very lucky. I was adopted by some good people. Um, my uh, father died. He was an attorney here in town maybe 13 years ago, 14. My mother's still alive. She's 90, um, you know, and I've really been blessed. I, uh, I wasn't always of that mind. Um, I grew up in the 60s. And I really enjoyed the freedom that came about in the 60s. The rebellious uh, spirit was uh, very intoxicating to me. I really enjoyed that um, and uh, made the most of it. But uh, my folks were kind of old-fashioned and uh, very conservative, and they did not appreciate the 60s like I did. <laughs> did not see eye to eye about many things, and uh, you know, they, I gave them a very difficult time for an awful long time. Uh, I, uh, I struggled in school. I had some uh, uh, reading, learning disabilities that uh, went unidentified. You know, this was quite a while ago. Um, so uh, education was difficult for me, but I was very social. I enjoyed school for the most part until the report cards came. Uh, you know, I, uh, I really, uh, you know, I did struggle and I, uh, I had some real difficult times uh, trying to learn how to read, for one, basically. It was very, um, almost traumatic, you know, there was, uh, I went to Linmar, and it was a time when Linmar was really expanding, growing very rapidly, and, uh, the classes were getting very large, very quickly, and uh, there was a, there were three of us in third grade that didn't know how to read, and uh, the teacher didn't have time for us. You know, so uh, my folks eventually took me out, moved me to a different school. But uh, you know, and I've been playing catch up all my life when it comes to reading and uh, learning. You know, in, in general, certain things are difficult for me, but uh, I. Uh, I discovered one thing um, early on in my teenage years that uh, was not difficult, and that was drinking. Um, I uh, I took to that immediately. You know, it was one of those things where it just uh, took away all the inhibitions and all that uh, junk that uh, was left over from uh, school, um, the inadequacies and the like. You know, I just uh, that just kind of fell away. You know, and the comfort of uh, Alcohol was uh, phenomenal. 
I also found dope, you know, at a very young age. You know, the 60s were uh, kind of uh, an interesting time. And um, I was a, a rebellious spirit. You know, there's no, I, I still am. <laughs> Sometimes it would be a lot easier if I wasn't, but, uh, you know, God makes us all the way we are. And, uh, you know, some of us are fortunate enough to uh, get through it to the other side, or at least partway through. But, um, you know, I, uh, I went on um, kind of battling through teenage years. Um, I, uh, I mostly just had a hard time with my folks because uh, I drank too much, um, I smoked dope. You know, and that uh, was not, you know, it was not conducive to a conservative um, Christian family. And uh, um, by the time I went to college, you know, I had uh, failed to prepare as far as education is concerned. You know, I just, I went to college and uh, I was not prepared to do what they expected of me. So I only stayed for a short time. Plus, I went out in the mountains, and uh, there was way too much to do out there <laughs> besides go to school. So I, uh, I didn't stay long. I came back and went to work right away. And uh, basically, for the next 10 years, that's what I did. I went to the bars at night, and I smoked dope most all the time. And uh, I worked, you know. It, it was one of those things where I worked and uh, made enough money to do the other, and that was uh, that was my life. Um, somewhere along the line, I convinced Teresa that we should get married, or she convinced me. I don't know for sure. So we did, and uh, I uh, I didn't see too much of a problem until I started getting arrested for drunk driving, and. Uh, at first, way back in the 70s, that wasn't, they didn't take that near as seriously as they do today. So uh, I kind of skated through that a few times, but uh, um, I think it was uh, about this time in 1981 I got picked up and uh, I happened to have some dope on me and that was, it didn't look too good. I thought, I, I got scared, so uh, I ended up going to treatment and uh, That was an interesting time, too. I, uh, I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous in treatment. And uh, I came out of the program, and uh, I started going to AA right away. I, uh, I didn't exactly buy their philosophy. Um, I tried it for a while, off and on, off and on. But, uh, it, uh, it did seem like I didn't get near as much trouble if I didn't drink. So. Uh, I did, I did try to embrace it, but uh, it took me a while to, uh, to catch on. And uh, I, uh, I didn't really grasp it until uh, a few years later. Um, there was a well-known alcoholic. We used to do a retreat once a year here in Cedar Rapids at the Mercy Spiritual Center. Harold Hughes, and um, a friend of mine suggested that I go to it, and uh, I, I finally agreed to it. Um, 
Trisha could tell you what I said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> it was one of those things where um, I didn't want to go, but I felt it was probably a good idea, and there was some pressure. Um, and I, you know, I didn't understand exactly where all the pressure was coming from at the time. But uh, I went to this retreat, and it was on the 11th step, which is seek to improve your conscious contact with God. And um, I really didn't care too much about that until I got to the retreat. And uh, I spent some time with, uh, I don't know, there was 40 or 50 other alcoholics there seeking to uh, improve themselves or advance their spirituality. And uh, it, it was infectious, you know, it caught on. I, uh, I started to... Uh, get an idea, you know, there was uh, something inside me, and uh, Harold Hughes uh, presented us at, in the evening, there's kind of a service, and uh, suggested that uh, we call on God, you know, and I asked God to remove my alcoholism, my desire to drink, and uh, what was really baffling, he did. Uh, I came out of that retreat, and I no longer had a need to drink, and it was no longer a problem for me. And uh, this was uh, you know, a pretty big deal for me and my family. And uh, so I continued to uh, enjoy improving my life. Um, and uh, I, I, I kept up my involvement in Alcoholics Anonymous at this time. And uh, Harold Hughes had this retreat once, once a year. And I went another time. And then the third year, which would have been like two years later, um, I didn't realize it, but it was going to be his last one. And uh, he introduced the, um, at the beginning, you know, he held up the, the blue book, the big book that we use in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called Alcoholics It's called the big book. And he held up the Bible and said, this is the book. And uh, he, uh, he was very uh, scriptural um, in that particular retreat. And, uh, we had quite a prayer service on Saturday night, and then Sunday, we were offered an opportunity to um, invite Jesus Christ into our lives. And he, uh, he, uh, he actually read uh, uh, Revelation 3.20, something like that, is that right? Where he, uh, you know, he proposed that uh, Christ was at the door knocking, and if uh, we were to let him in, he would come in and uh, suck with us. And, uh, I did this, not realizing, having any idea what that might mean in my life. And uh, I, uh, I have not been the same since. You know, I, I accepted Jesus Christ at that particular time, and uh, I came away from that retreat with a thirst for God and for scripture and for knowledge that I've never experienced. And um, I really had quite a time trying to fill this thirst. Unfortunately, um, alcohol wasn't a part of it because that was always the other thirst that I needed to fill. But I, um, I spent most of my time pursuing this and uh, I was involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and I was a bit of a Jesus freak for a while. I don't think they thought I was as uh, conducive, maybe, at the time. But, uh, you know, it was really something. 
Christ filled me in a way that uh, I cannot explain. You know, I just was overcome with his presence and uh, a desire to know God, know more about him, know scripture. Um, it was, you know, it was really a, a, a strange thing, especially for somebody like me. But uh, I went on, um, I don't know, at that time we started having kids. Um, life, uh, life is life, you know, and everything goes on. I was uh, in a place where I started farming, and uh, that was one of my real true loves, and I farmed, and um, it was one of those times where there wasn't much money in farming, and I really wanted to expand my uh, base, and I was watching my neighbors go broke, and uh, trying to figure out how to do this, and I jumped into organic farming, and uh, it was one of those things where I was achieving some success, but uh, I also did it right at the beginning of the drought we had in the late 80s. And it was just uh, one of those phenomenal things. I had to put in a well, irrigation. I was working around the clock, you know, as many hours as I could physically do. And, uh, but it was, it was one of those things that was really rewarding, you know. Everything in the countryside was burnt up, but I had this little green oasis out there where I was growing. And uh, God was really blessing me. It was really a great time. But uh, I kept going. Um, and uh, at that time, uh, our family was young and growing, and it was there was challenges with little kids, and just in general. You know, I was still the the, re the rebel that grew up in the '60s, so some of this stuff, you know, just doesn't go away. Um, God blessed me in a number of ways, but I still um, had that uh, alcoholism. And uh, when I got busy at the farm, you know, I, I quit going to AA. I didn't need it. I was sober. And so I didn't have that support system anymore. And after a number of years, I decided to try drinking again. And uh, it didn't work out very good. <laughs> you know, and it, on my own, it was very difficult to try and stop, even though I knew God, I knew Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I was involved in church, but uh, I still had that uh, alcoholic bug in me that uh, would not let go. And uh, it took me several years and another drunk driving charge to uh, finally sober up again. And, uh, it was through Alcoholics Anonymous and a lot of uh, exposure to other Christian friends. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, it's one of those things where some folks seem to manage um, to change their ways more easily. Um, I don't. Um, I have a tendency to uh, need to go back and refresh myself. It can be... Uh, Kind of painful and nasty, um, especially for my family. You know, when I had uh, little kids in school and I lose my license for a couple of years, you know, it's it's not too pleasant for them to have to bum rides and ride with other people. And, um, you know, I don't know how, how often they told their friends why I couldn't drive or if they did or not. But you know, it was it was not a good time, and um, I. Uh, I did manage to uh, sober up again and uh, moved on. And uh, about then, uh, 
also I decided that farming just wasn't cutting. We had the three years of severe drought, and then we started to have some very unusual rain patterns where uh, crops were really difficult. And uh, you know, we had a little, had a young family, and uh, um, I wasn't making money, so I decided to do something else. And, I managed to find a construction job with this fellow I used to work with, and uh, you know, a regular paycheck was great. So I went that route, and uh, that worked out for a while. And uh, I, uh, I still had difficulty uh, embracing sobriety. Um, I was uh, surrounded by. Uh, non-believing people that I worked with and uh, it uh, at first was not a big deal. I had no problem with it, but then it, after a while it wore me down and they, uh, I guess they had more uh, commitment to their disbelief than I did to my belief. And uh, I, uh, I ended up drinking again and I uh, had some difficulty. I finally quit that job. I had to get away from it. Um, around the 2000, around the millennium, I, I started experiencing quite a bit of difficulty with my lungs. Um, I was a smoker and I worked around all kinds of things that I never should have. Uh, farming was hard on me. I was a welder. Um, did hardwood floors, I really enjoyed that. Um, I started having a lot of difficulty and uh, I, uh, I quit doing what I was doing and I started looking for something else, but um, for several years I, I went out to Kirkwood and uh, I would sign up for courses to try and uh, retrain myself, learn how to do something. And uh, I would end up getting sick. And uh, I, had, I had bronchitis all the time. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, this went on for several years and I never seemed to be making any, any progress and I finally got uh, close enough to the doctors that they uh, diagnosed me with uh, COPD, which is a congested uh, lung disorder where I was just always congested. My lungs were getting worse very slowly, very gradually. And uh, um, it was a, a process that was kind of deceiving because I knew I was out of breath, couldn't breathe most of the time, but uh, I was still maintaining. and. Uh, about uh, five years ago, we started a program here at St. Joe's um, called Alpha. And uh, I was lucky enough to be involved in the first part of it. But I was also at that period when I was really starting to get sick. Uh, my lungs were uh, in bad shape. And uh, um, it, uh, it actually started on Ash Wednesday that year. I, uh, I had a, a bronchial tube that was collapsing. And, uh, I didn't realize it, but I ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. And uh, they treated me, you know, it was no big deal. I was getting kind of used to this stuff, and uh, they fill you up with antibiotics and uh, steroids, and a couple of days they clean it out and send you home. But the problem was, um, it was only good for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and I was back in the hospital. And uh, this went on for six or seven months, and I never was able to clear out the junk in my lungs, and they were getting worse. And uh, it was getting serious, because each time I was losing weight, I was getting weaker. But 
the one thing that was uh, very unusual, you know, I've never been able to quite understand this or explain it, but each time I go in the hospital, because of the um, drugs I was on, I wouldn't sleep. You know, I'd be awake for two or three days, it would seem like I might sleep for a couple hours, but I did a phenomenal amount of reading. Hospital TV really doesn't entertain you very long. <laughs> so I, uh, I would get uh, my wife or some friends bring me books, and I did a huge amount of reading, and I spent an awful lot of time in prayer. And uh, my relationship with God was uh, uh, you know, just so much bigger and closer through this period, and uh, I, uh, I really had no fear of what was happening to me. Um, it, just, it just was, and uh, that was that, and um, I was getting closer to God, and uh, you know, if I died, yeehaw, <laughs> you know, I was going home. But uh, it was an interesting time. By Thanksgiving, I was home on the couch, and uh, I was kind of, I was really sick. I, uh, I didn't think, uh, I wanted to make a big deal of it because everybody was home. Teresa's family was having a big, big get-together, and I was just kind of trying to stay out of the way. And, uh, and Teresa came home to check on me on Thanksgiving. I was unable to get up. I was really ill. And the ambulance came and got me, um, I don't know, second or third time. I don't remember. But uh, I went to the hospital and they, they really couldn't hear any. I wasn't moving any air. Um, and even when they hooked me up oxygen and everything, you know, I, I could not breathe. I really did not think I would leave the hospital that time. Um, my lungs were not functioning and I was not getting any air. And, um, they just couldn't do anything for me. You know, my lungs were pretty much done. But, uh, there were a lot of people praying for me, and uh, you know, I don't know. The, the phenomenon of prayer is one of those things, you know, I don't know why some people benefit like I have, other people, you know, um, what, I, you know, I have no answers, but uh, God bless me. I, I was sitting on the side of my bed gasping for air, and all of a sudden I was calm and able to breathe enough, you know, I still was dying of lung disease, but that, you know, I just, the peace overcame me, and um, they managed to clean me up, it took a little bit longer that time, and uh, sent me home, um, but they were concerned about this bronchi tube, I went up to Mayo and they fixed it, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it wasn't quite that simple, but uh, <laughs> they did fix it, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, through the Alpha program, you know, there was a lot of people that knew how sick I was, and um, there's people all over the town praying for me, actually. Um, and it's been a it's been a really sweet ride, you know. I uh, um, it's like Father John always says, you know, thank God we don't get what we deserve, um, and I definitely do. But uh, it was. Um, it was a difficult time for me and for Teresa and for my family. I went up to uh, Mayo um, four years, five years ago, and uh, on my son's youngest son's 16th birthday, I had surgery. You know, and I, the only thing that I was concerned about was him just being here at home, getting his driver's license to help me.
because I just was so comfortable with the, the surgical team and all the prayers, you know, I just wasn't worried about the outcome. And, and it was, it was, you know, it's a phenomenal outcome, you know, they said it to prepare for up to 10 days, you know, in the hospital, and I was home in five. You know, and it was it was a it was a <laughs> relatively easy procedure. You know, I expected him to do one of those little gallbladder surgeries, and I got this foot long scar down my back, but uh, it worked out. But uh, and that was like I say, that was uh, five years ago. But in the meantime, my lungs are still dying. And uh, I had a couple of good years, you know. It's, it was really phenomenal because uh, I dragged my oxygen tank around, but uh, God kept opening all these windows, you know. And here at uh, church, I always was finding stuff to do. And it was really, uh, I had a good time, you know. My wife was really suffering, watching me get old and be in that kind of shape. But, uh, you know, we, we managed to keep going. and. Uh, God was good to me. It just was—it was an interesting time. But I was really getting sick, and uh, I was losing ground fast. And uh, I started looking at the possibility of transplant. You know, that was one of those things that—it's uh, a little bit scary when you start looking at the statistics. And uh, you have to be close enough to a, a facility to. Uh, respond quickly. And I looked at different spots around the country and Iowa City used to have a really good program down there but they had uh, uh, dismantled it a number of years ago and uh, when I was down there looking into the uh, possibility of getting a stent, they introduced me to this uh, surgeon who was uh, in the process of reorganizing the uh, pulmonary transplant program. And at the time I wasn't quite ready but uh, a couple years later I was, and so I went down and I talked to these people, and uh, Teresa and I immediately, you know, we fell in love with the team. They had only done, uh, I don't know, 20 or so, so they didn't have a, a, a track record to fall back on, but uh, we really, really um, connected with the team, the people who were really doing the work, and uh, so I decided to go ahead and uh, get, uh, Qualified, you have to go through all these tests to, uh, to even qualify for a transplant. And, uh, Teresa got a little disgusted with me because I am a master procrastinator. <laughs> but uh, this is one thing that I went through in uh, very rapid uh, order. And I did most of it by myself. I went down to Iowa City and I dragged my oxygen around and go and did all these different tests. And uh, I got uh, qualified um, in April of. Uh, 2009, and uh, they said they called me on a Friday evening and said that I was uh, officially listed, and that they sent me a beeper. You got to carry a beeper, so when they find a donor, they uh, beep you, and you go. And uh, Monday morning, I got a call before six o'clock. I didn't answer the phone, and uh, a couple minutes later, I had a call on my cell phone. Um, sure enough, it was Iowa City. Three days, I was less than three days. I was listed, and they had a donor. They had a, um, a loan for me, and uh, so we went to Iowa City right away. And, and it was 
was quite a deal. They gave me one lung because the other side had all this scar tissue from the previous surgery. And uh, that was two and a half years ago. And uh, I no longer use oxygen. Haven't had to um, since. In fact, the surgeon came in two days after my surgery. He was, he was disgusted. He says, why do you got that oxygen on? Nobody's taking it off. I, had, um, I couldn't talk because I had a trachea on me or a tube or whatever down my throat and screwed up my uh, voice box for a while. But, uh, you know, so he took the oxygen away and I've never used it since. But uh, um, it's, uh, it's hard to explain, you know, how many people in this parish and around town were praying for me. You know, um, Rodney put the word out to everybody, um, Teresa did, everybody I knew was, and uh, you know, it was just one of those things, it was just such a smooth sailing all the way through. Um, my uh, pulmonary specialist took hold Teresa's side right after my surgery and said he was scared calm. <laughs> You know, I was. I just, I was not concerned about the outcome whatsoever. Um, I trusted the people doing it, and I trusted my God. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing to live with such confidence in your, uh, in your creator, in your life. Um, you know, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I don't have any excuses for uh, some of the things I do, you know. I, uh, I've been uh, coasting along pretty good, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm into a lot of things here at the church, and, uh, you know, Pete pulled me into this evangelism outreach, and uh, I, uh, I'm just so blessed, you know, but I still am an alcoholic. And uh, one of my difficulties is I forget that. And uh, I sometimes get cocky, not sometimes, I'm often, most of the time I'm cocky. And uh, I do forget it. And, uh, you know, here recently things have been going great. And I still have uh, that need for a little bit of danger in my life, uh, taking chances, riffs. And uh, I started drinking again a little bit, you know, just, just sneaking around, you know. And, um, you know, it's one of those uh, unexplainable phenomenons. Um, there's uh, some people that believe you're born with the alcoholic personality. Um, some families seem to have it all the way through. Um, you know, and that's one of my... Uh, Dilemma's not knowing what, uh, what my family actually has, my blood family. But uh, it doesn't really matter because I have it. And I still uh, am willing to test uh, the, um, I was uh, in the process of preparing this talk, and uh, 
I try to um, stay in scripture. I'm not as, I haven't been as good about it, obviously, as I need to be. But uh, here lately, I started picking up the Bible again. And, uh, this one particular uh, uh, couple of verses has jumped out at me. I'm not sure. We might have actually had this in one of the readings, the daily readings here recently, but uh, this one has uh, a special meaning to me today, I guess. Um, it's from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, my weakness is that I don't call on my community when I need it. And uh, that's the one wonderful thing about the power of God. You know, there's a wonderful community around me at all times. You know, I have some good friends here from Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have a bunch of people, friends, close brothers and sisters from this parish around town. You know, I'm, a, I'm an extremely blessed person. You know, and that's, uh, that's why I can... I can do this. You know, Satan would like to see this not happen. Um, that's one of the reasons I fear that I've struggled here recently. I know Pete had some trouble before he was ready to do his talk. Uh, we're, we're trying to pray up all of our brothers and sisters that are going to do this because Satan doesn't want us to tell the truth. He'd rather tell us why. And uh, we need to stick together. You know, this is this is really a treat, not just for me, but for all of us. You know, if we can uh, continue to bring friends in, um, family who need to uh, hear about our Lord, you know, and the saving power of Jesus Christ. You know, the um, the lot, the same, you know, the devil is alive and well in this country, in this world. Um, and all we need to do is stick together and call on our Lord, Jesus Christ, to uh, not be overpowered by that. And, uh, you know, I, I really am a blessed person, and I really enjoy having all you guys here. Um, I'm not going to keep babbling. Um, I do appreciate your, your attention, your presence. Um, Let's, uh, let's keep uh, bringing people in that need to hear that we're not our own islands. You know? I'm, I'm no good at that anymore. Uh, so, thanks.
Thanks very much, Clark. We do want to invite you to spend some time at what might look like your individual little islands. But with other people, that's exciting. Uh, we're going to invite you to come up and get some food. We have a light supper prepared for you this evening. And we are going to ask you to wait until your table is invited to come up to the table, uh, to the main table where the food will be served. You see Teresa bringing out the roaster. Um, so we're going to have people come around just so there's a little more orderliness to it as much as we get in this kind of an event. Um, and what I would invite you to do um, at your tables, perhaps while you're waiting to come up and get your food, or even after you get your food and come back, is to have some conversation with each other as part of the purpose of this gathering. And um, I'll, I'll just toss out a couple of questions that perhaps you can respond to. I'm sorry I don't have them written out for you. But uh, the first one might be, what do you thirst for today? What do you thirst for? For today. And the other one might be, what do you need to let go of tonight in order to receive God's love? They're kind of, you know, intense questions. If you feel moved to share, I would invite you to do that. Um, the other thing, though, that I would invite you to do is um, we do not have a table with a lot of uh, papers and information put out, but we do want to invite you to consider, if you're being called, to involve yourself a little bit more in the life of the parish community, and in particular here at St. Joseph, if you're interested in knowing more about St. Joseph, over by the door we, there's some bulletins and some worship aids, and those are two of our weekly communication devices. And I would invite you to pick one of those up. And um, I will just mention a few of the adult formation events that you might find listed in the bulletin or on our parish website, stjoesmarion.org. And I would invite you to, to check that out. But there's some things that you might hear about. For example, our parish, through the Lenten season, is going to be offering the Word on Fire series. And this is from Father Robert Barron out of Chicago, and it was filmed around the world. And uh, we're going to offer six sessions of these in multiple settings, multiple days, and multiple times throughout the Lenten season. So if you want to come, and you can come to one or you can come to all of them. But that's something you'll hear a little bit more about in the near future. We're still putting that program together. We have year-round scripture study here at St. Joseph, Tuesday night. In fact, scripture study people are here right now, and we're going to be going to have our study tonight. We're studying the parables of the Gospels, uh, Mark and Matthew. But that's year-round. You're welcome to join us. Uh, we have book discussions in the parish. Uh, there's a group that's going to be starting to talk about um, Tolley's book, uh, New Earth, uh, in the near future. Uh, there's spiritual direction that is offered through the parish. Call us at the parish and if you want to delve more deeply into your spiritual life with a companion or a mentor, a listener, that's something that we offer here at St. Joseph. There are women's events, especially as affiliated with Moms Ministry of Mother Sharing, and there's an event coming up very soon that is chocolate sharing. So if you want to know more about that, that's important. I think we should do that tonight. So, uh, and we also have a program here called Discerning Charisms, Living the Mission. And we actually started it last night. But we offer that in an ongoing way. If, again, you're delving more deeply into your spiritual life, asking the question, how is God calling me? 
to serve people? How has God gifted me to serve other people? So there's just a few of the things that are happening here at St. Joseph throughout the year. The bullet and the worship aid will uh, tell you more about that, as does the website. Um, the other thing that you'll notice on the table as, as you're leaving, uh, right in the center of it is a stack of books, Rediscover Catholicism. And it's a book by Matthew Kelly. You've probably seen it throughout the city over the past year or so. Uh, we made these available to parishioners through the Christmas season. We have exactly 41 left for you. And they're free for your taking. If you are interested in spending a little bit of time rediscovering more about Catholicism in the modern age, Matthew Kelly's perspective on that, feel free to take a book with you tonight. Take one to give to a friend who maybe just needs to hear some good news right now. Um, and spend a little time with that. Pass it on. But that's free for your taking. Made possible for, by generous St. Joseph parishioners who have donated to that cause. Okay? So that's all I want to say about that. Uh, we do have two events coming up for Catholic Evangelism Outreach. The next one is February 28th at St. Matthew. And the month after that is March 21st at St. Wenceslas. I'll remind you that again uh, before we leave tonight. But uh, let us gather in prayer before we have our meal. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from our body, and from Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What were the two questions again, Rodney? Um, what is your name and what's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, the two questions, and Mo, are you going to be the one coming around uh, releasing people? Okay, so Mo will be the one who will invite your table to come up for food. Uh, the two questions are, what do you thirst for tonight? And what do you need to let go of in order to receive God's love? <laughs>